welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer with Gene Galvin and me, I am Maria Corelli. We are recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience here in Folk School Coffee Parlor of Ludlow, Kentucky. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Judge Jerry! You may all be seated. I get to say that every... No, really, I, I, they say, all rise, and then, uh, you know, I walk in, and the bailiff uh, says, then presents me the folder, a couple of hundred dollar bills for You're referring to the new Ooh. Judge Jerry show, oh, yeah, which yeah. will debut on September 9th across the country. Oh, I didn't know you were going to ask me that. Yeah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, check your Television local. show, yeah. Judge Jerry. Uh, yes, yes. And, but no, and then he announces what the case is, the plaintiff and the defendant, and then I say, you may all be seated. And here we sit. And then I have to fix my robe. Yep. And then you have to fix your uh, seat cushion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Portable seat cushion. Okay, I really have one there. (laughs) No, because they want me higher up for the camera shot Uh, so that they can get the back. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Anyway, hey, how you doing? Uh, you (laughs) You can see that I'm not my normal, you know, oh, I'll jump into all the comedic banter because, and I put on, I put on the it's rundown. It's a shallow pool, by the way. Don't pool, hurt I yourself. <laughs> I put in the rundown, which is a kind of a plan that I send out to Jerry and Maria each week. And I put in there that there was something that I wanted to tell you guys about. And I've discussed this with my family and with other oh. people, but I haven't talked about it uh, in the media, and I thought I should do it here before I do anything anywhere else. But on Saturday night, um, I'm going to give you the real quick version of this. So on Saturday, I took a bike ride. I do that a lot. And I'm, I'm a kind of a distance rider, and I got an e-bike, which obviously yeah. helps a lot. But uh, So I did an 80-mile ride from my home to a place that I prefer not to name exactly, but I'll tell you this much. 80 miles north from northern Kentucky, and it ends at a spot which are the headwaters of the Little Miami River. Mm. Little Miami River is this historic river in the greater Cincinnati area that goes roughly 70 miles from the Ohio River, 70, 80 miles north. The headwaters are beautiful. It's almost a large creek, and there is a place that I know about, I'm going to call it a stealth campsite, that I know about this. Mm-hmm. And I rode to that spot, and it's about two and a half, three miles off of a Rails to Trails bike trail. So I went to that spot. I had uh, what I call bike packing gear. So yes. it's gear that you would normally take backpacking, but you can do it on a bike. So we're talking sleeping bag, sleeping pad, tent. I had a small stove. I had uh, food for dinner. And I was solo. And I go to this place, and I camp out, and it was phenomenal. One of these memorable backcountry, not so much wilderness, obviously. We're in Ohio. But, you know, the mostly full moon was rising. It was maybe 69, 70 degrees I built a fire mainly for atmosphere when the sun went down. Uh, it was phenomenal. I uh, drank some whiskey, smoked a cigar, which I typically do when I do this stuff. Mm, and then at nice. around 11.30, I go into my tent, little solo tent, and I go to sleep. 
And at around, I, I actually know the time because I noted it, 3.30 a.m., and Jerry, do you remember as kids, we, a lot of us had Louisville Slugger baseball bats. Yes. So these are wooden bats that oh are... And Where is the story going? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> so this is where it's gone. I heard at 3.30, and it was one of these deals where the first time I heard it, I didn't wake up. I'd sort of put it into a dream or something. Apparently you do that. And it was wax. It sounded like a wooden baseball bat whacking a tree. That's what it sounded like. Oh I believe that's what it was, by the way, too. I don't know that it was a Louisville Slugger refined machine mill baseball yeah. bat, but I heard this thing going whack. I heard three whacks. Boom, boom, boom. And I thought, first, it didn't even wake me up. I just, like I say, I was still dreaming. And then I heard it again after a space of seconds, maybe 15, 20 seconds, and then I was awake. And I thought, what the hell, you know, where am I? I'm disoriented. Yeah. And it sounded like it was maybe 20, 30 yards away is what it sounded like, couldn't be sure. And now I'm sitting up in my tent, and now I'm waking up and thinking, what the hell is going on? Because there's nobody near where I am. Nobody. No houses, no lights, mm. nobody. Then I hear it again, and now I'm really awake, and then I hear it again, and I got out of my tent. And then, and there are moonbeams coming through the trees, so it's not lit, it's not bright, but it's just kind of one of those hazy things where you can sort of see, but it's not like, you know, lights on. And then I saw movement. I'm just going to say movement. And I thought, is somebody pranking me, or is, what the hell's going on? If this is a joke, I'm going to kill you. It is not. <laughs> it does sound like a joke. And this is the problem I suffer of the kid cries wolf too many times yes. because and i appreciate that and i can <laughs> swear to you it is not a joke okay so then i see as i say movement over across what i'm calling the headwaters of the little miami river kind of a wide creek on the other side of the creek there is something and i did not get from the tent, because all of this is happening fast. I'm out of the tent. I don't have a flashlight, because I have a headlight. I don't have a cell phone, which would have a light on it, by the way. Not sure I would have used either, any of those, because well, I was freaking out. you don't have your out. cell phone? I didn't have it out of the tent. It was oh, in the tent. Gotcha. So I get out of the tent. I'm standing out there, and I am... Uh, and I've been a lot of places. I've been, I'm not boasting, but I've spent a lot of time in Alaska. I've been around a lot of big bears, and I have not been scared. Now, by the way, maybe I should say, because I had a 454, you know, Kazool pistol or pepper spray. I had, no, I had nothing. I had no defenses. Now I'm getting really kind of freaked out. And, but I'm also real curious because I am not a believer in the paranormal. I am not. And then I, I start to walk towards me and the bank of the river. And then I'm adjusting to the, to the darkness and I see this. 
I see a huge form, upright form. It is turning and moving away. It's coming back at me. I don't feel like it's aggressive, but it's real aware of my presence. I then hear sounds. I start to walk towards it. It started to come at me through the river. Again, we're talking a real kind of shallow, but wide, almost like a creek. And then it turned and ran. And when it ran, if you can picture a horse running through a creek, you know, the pounding sound, big sounds. It was not a little sound, it was like a big sound. And boom, it went up this hillside and gone. I went to my tent and I got my phone because you might say, well, why didn't you shoot a picture of this whole thing? And it's because I didn't have it. Did you call him? And, I, <laughs> and I'm going to show you what I shot a photo of. Oh, and my. can you come over, Jim, with uh, Facebook Live? And for those of you and listening, I'll show Maria. Maybe you could explain. It's, uh, for those of you out on the, in the podcast world listening, we uh, it's What's a it look giant like? footprint, like a, with claws, like a, it looks like a bear print. And it has my hand. You can see my hand, which I put next to it. Boom! Shot the photo, and I did that to give some perspective. To it's about the thing. Three of Gene's hands. Right. Large. When I called the sheriff of this county, I'm purposely, they've asked me, do not name the county. And may, maybe it'll be clear as I finish this story because I'm about done. And I called the, I just called 911. And by the way, it was only about eight minutes and they arrived and they came lit up in a car because I said, I don't know, I was probably a little freaked out, but I'm talking to the dispatcher, describing what I saw. Hmm. They come flying in, they get out. They didn't hassle me about where I was camp, because I still don't know if I was camp where I should have. I stealth camp a fair amount, meaning kind of sneak in, yeah. camp, get up, leave, nobody even knows you were there. They then tell me I am the sixth person who has reported in the last month in this county seeing something. They kept referring to it as a thing. And uh, then they left. I then, my wife joined me in another place uh, in a little town nearby the next night, stayed in a hotel. I rode back yesterday. Now, I'll end this by saying that story is total bullshit, everything I just told you. <laughs> None of that happened. I made up that entire story. Gene! What? <laughs> Do you realize we're on the air? Yeah. Well, you people have lost <laughs> 14 minutes of their lives. This was all made up. <laughs> yeah, it's all made up. Where did you get that? But I'm going to tell I got it off the internet. That's pretty easy. Oh but here's why, I'm, here's why I, I did it. I can't believe it. <laughs> You didn't what? know that he was going to do that? Well, I said in the middle, I'm going to kill you, that the killer <laughs> will come later. But <laughs> we need, we're going to Facebook Live. Joke, here's why we I did it. We have all sat here. Right. Why did you do it? Where's why I did it? <laughs> and people ought to know this. Every show, and this has been for the last four years, yes. two, three, four times a week, 
Maria's calling me. Jerry's calling me. What have you got? I'm the executive producer. What have you got planned for this week? <laughs> it better be good. You better have your energy up. And I realize that I have no life experiences that are interesting. I have no creative <laughs> thoughts in my head. So I am pushed by the pressure of this GD yeah. job yeah. to sit to try to come up with some stuff and it ends up being a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> That's what I have to do. Welcome to Gene Galvin's world. Stop. Welcome to my world. That's the world that I live in as the executive producer of the Jerry Springer podcast. Couldn't you even, if you're going to make up a story, couldn't it have been where you would be the hero? You're just a little chicken. Wouldn't be the little duck. They really are this bear around here. Come and get me. They really are gonna fight you guys. Yeah, that's a that's that's a big foot foot is what that is off the internet. So if you Google a big foot foot, you you actually had to give some thought to to constructing this whole thing. Well, that's the pressure I'm under on this job. (laughs) What kind of if I'm gonna come up with some BS, it's got to be decent. Oh, you're, we're used to the normal BS. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that is amazing. Along. That is, I am flabbergasted. Yeah. Well, but I'm glad picture, you're okay. I saw a picture of his campsite online, and it was hey, yeah, beautiful. It did. Didn't that look cool? Yeah. 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 Hey, by the way, I did. <laughs> the true part was. He the, must have. The why am I going to believe anything he says? The true I'm part. I'm never going to again. The true part was I did do the I did do the bike ride. I did camp out. Did you crash this spot. time like you did no, the I last time you told us about no your crashes. bike ride? And as I was riding back, because uh, it takes six hours to do 80 miles, I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to do on this podcast? And I'm like, yeah, I'll come up with that BS. Whoa. So you also anyway. made reference another lie. You made reference. Yes. To all the phone calls we have about the substance of this. You're podcast. always, guys are always on me. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is the nobody fact, calls me. The fact nobody of the matter is, me. the only nobody communication, yeah, the only <laughs> communication yeah. I have ever had with you in the four years we've been yeah. doing this podcast is. 6:20, like the time <laughs> yeah, you pick, pick me, me up, up in front of the hotel. It's not yeah. even a full sentence. It's an email. 620 question mark? <laughs> yeah. And then he'll say, yes. Yeah, once, oh no, once there were, once you said, which hotel? Correct. You did one say that. Yeah. That's the only communication that's we ever have about this, which explains reason. the quality of this product. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Hey, let me, and by the way, uh, we're going to have uh, Beth Chrisman on in a minute, and that is no BS. She's our musical performer. We're looking forward to that. And I wanted to ask you something, Jerry. There's so much stuff going on. Uh, well, there is every week. There's so much going on politically. These last two years, going on three years, have been amazing. But there is a large group of men and women running for the nomination, to be nominated to be the representative of the Democratic Party in the presidential election. And... A lot of sparks have been flying and leaving some of us to wonder, is there an outright civil war going on within the Democratic Party? What do you think? I think there is. And strangely enough, the civil war is not among and between the candidates. The civil war really is within the heart and soul of the party. 
uh, on the one side, we have Speaker Pelosi, uh, obviously liberal, but also with the attendant responsibility as Speaker of the House to represent the entire party. In other words, if she wants to stay Speaker, if the Democrats want to keep control of the, at least the House, she has to be concerned not just about a few Congress people, but all of them, all the districts. Uh, how can we keep the majority? So she's basically the grown-up in the room in terms of this um, civil war that's going on. On the other side, we have what is now referred to as at least led by the squad. The squad being four freshman congresswomen um, of color. Uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, Ian um, Omar, and Rashida Tayyib. Now, these four congresswomen, all very young, all freshmen, and very far to the left on the political spectrum. Uh, some unabashedly with having socialist ideas, and but clearly left, far left of center. They're the protesters. They're the ones wanting change now. They don't want to hear what the what the the pragmatists are saying, what the political equation is. They just have a picture of this is how the world ought to be, this is how the Democrat, what the Democratic Party ought to stand for, and they want it just now. They are the heart and soul of the protest movement within the Democratic Party. The whole concept of the Democratic Party, to be fair, is that's always been the case. Uh, you know, they say Republicans fall in fall in line, Democrats fall in love. In other words, whoever the Republican candidate ultimately is, they all get together and they follow the strict rules of the party. The Democratic Party, no one's a Democrat first. You're something else first. You're part of a particular group that gets your attention and that's your commitment and you wind up in the Democratic Party because that's the more welcoming party. That is a coalition party. By definition, that's what the Democratic Party is. So we're always going to have fights. We're always, that's the whole history of our, of our party, at least in the last 100 years. So those are the protesters, that group. Now, full disclosure here, uh, before I just sound like an old fuddy-duddy or whatever, which tells you how old I am that I would use that expression, uh, I was once one of those protesters. I wanted change now, and I wasn't alone. I was part of this of my generation. Uh, we wanted civil rights now. We wanted to stop the war in Vietnam now. In fact, my very first day on city council in Cincinnati, I had just been elected. This was my first political office. It was December 1st, 1971. My very first day, I introduced an ordinance, uh, legislation, which would prohibit any citizen of Cincinnati from serving in the Vietnam War. That literally was the, ord the ordinance that I um, introduced. Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, it was defeated unanimously by the rest of council, by all of the media, and by virtually any human being 30 years and older. So 
you know, what am I, some crazy, you know, but by gosh, we're going to do it now. And despite being right on the merits, I would still argue today, because the war was unconstitutional from its beginning, because only Congress can declare war, and we were in this war where ultimately 58,000 Americans would die, much less million Vietnamese. Uh, we never declared that war. And so I thought there was substance to it, but it didn't matter. You know, I, I was 26. I had no knowledge yet of the whole process of how you bring people along to support such an idea. And I was a worker for Robert Kennedy and because we wanted to dump Lyndon Johnson. And uh, then when Bobby was killed, uh, you know, the party at the convention went with Hubert Humphrey, his vice president, who was also attached to the Vietnam War. And I just couldn't put my heart and soul in it. And a lot of the kids, which was me, uh, who were for either Bobby Kennedy or Gene McCarthy, we didn't work very hard for Humphrey. And the result was we got Richard Nixon. And because we got Richard Nixon, a million more people died in Vietnam and tens of thousands of Americans died. So that was the consequence of we, the protesters, you know, how we split the party. 1972, we weren't going to let this happen again. This time we're going to take over the party. We're not going to have the establishment hand us Hubert Humphrey down, you know, down our throats. So we picked George McGovern. Well, you know how that ended. You know, uh, we lost 40-something states, and uh, Nixon um, was reelected, and we had tens of thousands of more Americans die um, because of his reelection and the continuation of the war. And then we had Watergate and all the nonsense that came from that. So now, from having looked back at that history, which I kind of was part of. So when I stand here and maybe criticize AOC and the, what they're calling the squad of the new young leftist um, congresswomen, um, I'm looking at it from the distant view of, uh, of being 75 years old. And the perspective is inevitably going to be different. We're having another civil war within the Democratic Party. The young, the more liberal, the more passionate, taking on the rest of the party led by Nancy Pelosi, whose record for fighting for liberal causes is wonderful. I mean, the truth of the matter is the irony that here she was the face of liberalism that every Republican running for office in America in their commercials would put the picture of Nancy Pelosi. She was the villain. And now, all of a sudden, we're, we've turned on our own. And, you know, we're trying to rip her apart. And it's just, without her, Obama wouldn't have won twice. Without her, we wouldn't have had a, a, a Speaker of the House twice, female. And we wouldn't have had the Affordable Health Care Act uh, passed. She was the one that drove that through the Congress. So 20 million people got health insurance that didn't have it before. So her record is just unbelievable. And, you know, when you're in politics, you're going to get attacked, and she's now getting attacked. But we have to remember, be careful, this is, this is not someone who we have to change ideologically. It's just that what's going to happen in this mini-civil war that's taking place now 
is this could happen again. We could destroy our own party because it's not just enough that we reelect Trump. What he's trying to do is that he is all of a sudden involving himself in this civil war. He's now tweeting horrible racist stuff about the squad, these women of color. Go back to where you came from. Three of the four of them came from the United States of America, a country the president knows nothing about. But there's a method in why he's doing this. You know, you suddenly say to yourself, why, why is he getting involved in this dispute? Normally, if another political party is having a civil war, you step back and just enjoy it because you're going to reap the rewards. But he is taking a side. He is ripping these four women of color. Clearly, clearly racist. And the reason, the reason he's doing this is he wants the Democratic Party, which it inevitably will do, is to stand up against racist charges and all of a sudden make the face of the Democratic Party these four young congressional women of color. Because if AOC becomes the face of the Democratic Party, which is what he wants that to happen, then all of a sudden, he not only has a much better chance of winning because the country isn't that far left. I mean, let's be fair, the districts these four incredibly talented young women represent are all very safely, very far left liberal. The United States is not the Bronx. It would be nice if it was, but it's not. The Bronx is a district with one of the 435 in this country. So the thing is, if we want to beat Trump, and just as importantly, if we want to retake control of the Senate, which has to be done, because all the damage that Trump has done to our country, even if we elect a Democratic president, and we've got still McConnell running the Senate, everything we want to fix that he destroyed, whether you're talking about the environment, whether you're talking about immigration, whether you're talking about the economy, whatever you want to talk about that he's destroyed, we won't be able to fix unless we win the Senate. And the Senate is primarily made up of red states. Most people are Democrats, but most states are Republican because all the Democrats live in the same five states. That's why a Republican can win the presidency, even though lose the popular election. So we have to win those red states in the Senate race. If Democrats running in these red states get tossed out because those red states can't go along with AOC and the squad of young leftists, young liberals. They're going to lose in those states. 
The Democrat is not going to win in the state of Oklahoma. The Democrat is not going to win in the state of Nebraska. The Democrat is not going to win in North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, and each of those states has two senators. You add them up, the Republicans will keep the majority of the Senate. And that is what Trump, he's not smart enough to think of it himself, but what his people are doing. Yeah, get everyone defending the four. And they deserve to be defended, by the way. I'm not talking about the substance. I'm saying the effect will be that because of morality counts, we will defend these four women. Passed a resolution in Congress already attacking the president for attacking these four. And because they will now become the face, it'll be in every Republican commercial now. The Democratic Party standing up for AOC and these three other congresswomen. That will be the campaign, and it becomes very difficult then to get back the Senate as well as the presidency. Trump is evil, but his people are not necessarily stupid. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to mention a couple things about our musical guest tonight. Uh, she has some very incredible credentials. She's played on Mountain Stage, played on Prairie Home Companion, uh, played alongside artists such as James Hand, Bobby Bear, and Bill Kirchin, um, played in the Carper family as well. And uh, we want to welcome to the stage, ladies and gentlemen, Beth Chrisman. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Please tell us where we can hear your stuff. I'm at bethchrismanmusic.com. And spell Chrisman just to be sure. So C-H-R-I-S-M-A-N. Got it. You lead two bands right now? Yeah, I have a honky-tonk band, Missy Beth and the Morning Afters. Uh, I have an old-time band, the Fraulines. I play banjo and fiddle in that band. Okay. And And we can, like, search those online, too. Cool. I'm going to play a song I wrote about Alaska, about a little bar I used to hang out in up there. Yeah, we met up north in a mountain town, not too many others around. Though they told him as long as fell in love with my song, took me to the ground. Shouldn't even been at the bar But I fell in love with this small town Waste till his heart sat song on guitar And we wrote our names in a little black heart An old faded dollar bill We pulled over the bar where we fell so far Wish that time would stand still Out on the road so far from home Wishing I could be there again But your love disappeared Strangled by fear A broken heart that couldn't mend So I sit here at the bar With a bottle and a cry Keep on staring down at the floor With a tear in my eyes I remember why You couldn't love me anymore And we wrote 
far, if you fell so far, wish that time would stand still. Sometimes I wonder where you are, whatever happened to our love. All that's left of it still is that old dollar bill tacked up on the ceiling up above. Above the bar, maybe fell so far. Wish that time would stand still. It's there above the bar, maybe fell so far. Time just couldn't stand still. So earthy, beautiful. So, oh, it's great. Honestly, thank you. I, I just love it. Thank you so much. It's too short. Add some, uh, add some stanzas. <laughs> yeah, let Jerry sing on it a couple. No, <laughs> no, I'm not going to ruin the moment. I tell you what, we didn't. This is, it's not part of what we normally do. Do you have another song? Yeah, I'll do another one. I'll give up singing. Uh, down by the river. Yay! I want to hear that. That is so good. Yeah, let's, let's, let's end with you. We're going to, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, well, ask me, the executive producer. producer. Yeah. <laughs> Make a decision. Well, yes, Make but, a decision. but let me tell you about something that happened to me two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Play another one. Honestly. Okay, I will. That is, Thank yeah. You. This is one written by Alice Gerard. Oh, not of, that one. Who's one of uh, <laughs> she was one of the first ladies uh, to play bluegrass out, uh, and uh, she wrote the song in the '80s. It's about consent, so I thought it might be good for the show. Good. <laughs> I'm just sitting in this barroom. Yes, that's whiskey that you see, and my name is Mary Johnson. Lord, my feet are killing me. Working hard and I just stopped in before I head on home. And if you're thinking something different, friend, you sure are thinking wrong. And if you think you read and want to in these big brown eyes of mine, well, it's only a reflection of the want to in your mind. And I like good company And if you could see things my way Will you know we might be friends But you think my being here alone's an invitation to my bed And the drink you think has turned me on Has only turned your head Big brown eyes of mine Well it's only a 
lives And this might be your time And you're thinking sad pillows Sweet perfume forbidden wine And you think I'm thinking on those lines And now and then I do Just like you the want to The little thing I'd like So